0: Amen. What a great song. All right, here we go. Part three of this series. Pull out your message notes, your your sermon outline with me. Or if you're just joining us, we're right in the middle of the series. And what we're doing is we're asking some questions. Questions like, why is it certain people are life-giving and certain people are life-draining? You know, why is it that you can have two people, same ideology, same theology... Same background, one's life-giving, one's draining. You can have two people in your family. (laughs) Same background, I mean, same family, same worldview, similar experiences. One's positive, one's negative. Why is that? You could have two churches, same denomination, same theology. One's life-giving, you just walk in and and it's alive and it's awake. And you go to another one and it's not. It's just life draining. I mean, isn't it true that regardless of the church type or style, that some are eating out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so they have a lifeless church, and some are, are living in and eating out of the tree of life, and the church is alive and awake. So we're in this series called The Tree of Life. And it's based on two trees that were in the Garden of Eden. Two, more than two trees, it was two choices. It was two environments. It was two worldviews. Living from the tree of life means that you're making choices based on faith. And what does it lead to? It leads to life. Living from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil means that you're making every choice based on what you do. It's just purely based on right and wrong, and it's what you do and how you do it. The problem is, though, that you can never do enough. So it it leads to death, and it leads to death in us and the people around us. Here's Here's the big difference between the two motivations. I'll say it this way. You could read your Bible out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it actually produced death. Why? Because you read it thinking that God has some list somewhere, and near the top of that list is read your Bible. So you read it to have a good standing with God. You read it because he's unhappy with you when you don't. And so when you go and you approach other people and other Christians, you don't, you're not excited about the book. You just tell them, what, what are you doing? you got to read this book. God wants you to read the Bible. You got to read the Bible. Why aren't you reading the Bible? Or you could read the Bible out of the tree of life, and it just looks like I mean, you just want to read it. You just want that message in you. Just you just got to get the Bible in you. You want God's message. You want God's truth. Sure, you don't. Maybe you don't wake up desiring it every day, but you desire that desire. I mean, the motivation is different. And so when you run into someone who hasn't read read the Bible, you got to read the Bible. You got to get. You got to. You got to know this message. You got to see what you got to experience what's changing my life. You got to experience this book. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil means means that I filter everything through a value system of right and wrong in order to get to God. But we, as we've learned, you don't have to do it that way anymore. Cuz Christ came. He died in your place. If you believe in him, you are crucified with him. Talked about how when you're baptized, you're buried with Christ. You're risen to live a new life in Christ. And you have been put in Christ. The Bible says that, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And that you've been put in Christ. So when God looks at you, who does he see? He sees Jesus. You can't improve upon it? It's beautiful. It's amazing. So today we're going to talk a little bit more about that. What it means to live, live like that. To live in that. Today we're going to begin with a verse uh, in Proverbs, and it's going to be the back, kind of the backdrop of our study in Galatians today. We're going through the book of Galatians, um, but you've got to buckle up today because we're going through a lot of scripture. We're going through a lot of stuff today. You Think about it this way. The first two weeks we've been pouring, we've been packing and pouring the foundation, and now we're going up, and we're bringing in all the contractors, and we're going up quick. We're going to be all over the place. So hang with me and take good notes. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that, that what, say it. Seems right. I like you guys today. You're talking. That's good. Seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. There's some things that look right, they feel right, they smell right. It's got to be right. That just seems so right. How could it be wrong? But it ain't right. It just seems right. And you'll know because it actually produces lifelessness. That was the problem the Apostle Paul faced with the church that was in Galatia. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle basically means a church planner who keeps planting churches. They got a pioneering spirit, so they'll go plant a church, raise up a leader, move on, plant another church. So he planted this church at Galatia. He leaves to go plant more, but behind him come these leaders uh, called Judaizers. And they start teaching that you had to have faith in Jesus and. Yeah, you got faith in Jesus. That's great. That's a good starting point. You got to do this too faith, faith and. And you've got to observe all the laws of the Old Testament. Well, that's not really faith at all. They came in and said, you only think you're saved. You still need to be circumcised. You still need to start buying into all these customs. You need to pull out this list. We're teaching this series because not to beat up on them or these Judaizers of the Galatian church. We're teaching because today, the Christian church, Christians have a tendency to fall for the same thing. And we don't want you to fall for it. So here's a couple of traps that lead us to seems right thinking, called seems right thinking. Seems right, but it's not. Here's a couple of traps we tend to fall into. If I do something wrong, I should do something right. If I do something wrong, I should do something right. And basically, what we envision is that there's this big scale somewhere that God uses for us. And the scale has good things and bad things. And so I, if I do some bad things, well, then I've got to go over here and I've got to put some good things on the scale to, to balance it out. So the whole goal of life becomes, well, I've got to do more good, just a little bit more good than bad. I've got to keep track. If I do something bad, I've got to do something good. That doesn't work like that. I mean, that's a 51% faith. You're just trying to get it balanced just enough on the good to let you in. So what we do is if we dishonor God over here, well, then we go over here and we've got to put something on the good side to weigh it down just enough problem is that carries over into our life, into our relationships, and it produces death in our relationships. Because we think that, okay, if, if, I've, if I've dishonored my spouse and my marriage and I haven't really been there lately, well, I can go over here and I can plan this big weekend getaway and all this stuff and, then, and just make it right by putting a heavy dose of good on this side. We think, oh, I haven't been there for my kids lately. I haven't been a really good parent. I haven't been real supportive. I haven't been there. I haven't been listening. So let's plan a big vacation and a big trip, and we'll just put a lot more on this side and make it all good. doesn't work that way. It produces death in our relationships. You know, we think we can tip the scale. It seems right. Seems like it might work, but it doesn't. The second seems right thought is, if I do something right, I deserve something good. It's unfathomable to think that a good person would go to hell. It just doesn't seem right. If I do something right, I deserve something good. We think we can earn our spot into heaven. And this is the same problem Paul had with the Galatians. Here we go, Galatians 3, verse 2. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? They knew the answer. They they got it initially by their faith in God. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Are you going to let these guys come in and intimidate you? And to buying into this stuff, into doing good things, to relying on the law for salvation. And it just doesn't, it doesn't seem right, but good works without faith are useless. And they did this because it seemed right. He continues in verse 10, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. That doesn't seem right. If I make it my best effort to do good, to follow the commandments, to give it my best shot, you're telling me I'm cursed? For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do what? Everything written in the book of the law. He's saying that if your approach to get to God is your best effort, your good try, your good works, you being a righteous person, you can try it, but here's the deal. You got to get it right 100% of the time, every time. Thought, word, and deed. Every second, every minute of every day, of every month, of every year of your life. First breath to last, one mess up, game over. It's impossible. You can't do it. If you're going to go that route to get to God, you're obviously cursed. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because no one can do it. Because the righteous will live by faith. I mean, it does not take long to realize that if you have to be perfect, it's impossible to do it. So, Paul asks the question, we're all asking right now in this room, in this moment, what then was the purpose of the law? Why? All the expectations, all the law, all the commandments, why are they even there? Well, he goes on to give his argument, and I'm going to jump, jump us right to the conclusion. Verse 24, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. And there are two, two really important things that, that we get from that. And the first thing we get from that is where there's no law, there is no sin. The purpose of the commandments was to define the fact that you can't reach the standard of God. It is just too high. It's out of, it's even, it's out of our vision. The law, all the commandments, they reveal to us what sin is. Now, the second thing we get from that is that the law leads us to Christ. God knew you wouldn't be able to live a perfect life. So he sent Jesus to forgive you, forgive you of your failed attempts. Also, to give you the power, because he's living inside of you, Christ in you, to do it, to live. So we don't live under the thumb of the law. There's no way we can get the scale right on our own. There's no way we could get that to balance in our favor. We live under grace. We live under grace. And grace is a beautiful concept. It's a great concept to everyone here who's frustrated with this whole process. Maybe you've come to church before, listened to a message, knew you had failed, went down front, knelt, gave your life to God, made it to about Tuesday, and then went through the whole thing over and over again again and again and again, until you just gave up. You need grace. Grace is a, is a beautiful thing for those who read the Bible and think, I wish. They read it like it's a brochure to Hawaii. Hey, maybe someday, honey. Hey, this looks pretty good. Yeah, we'll get there. Maybe someday. Right, grace, is, it's too amazing for us. It's incredible. Before we move into this next part of the sermon, I want you to complete Uh, these phrases. They're popular American phrases. Uh, Complete these for me. If it sounds too good to be true, there's no such thing as a free... Come on now. There's no gain without... God helps those who... Those are true in our American culture. In fact, that's a good American work ethic. That's fine. That's great. You get what you earn, okay? But none of them are true in God's economy, because at our best effort, we still, fall, we still fall short. God is gracious. Don't be deceived. Don't let your view of God be distorted. God is not like some wizard of Oz. You know, a lot of us think of God as the wizard of Oz. You know, they go before the wizard. his great face and smoke. And What do you want? I just want to go home. Well, then do something for me. And we think God's like that. We go to God. What do you want? Just want to go to heaven? Then memorize the book of Proverbs or something crazy. And we think that that's, you know, that shows the difference between law and grace. So let's define grace. We got to know what grace is. You got to understand grace. You need to understand that, that first it's God's gift to me. Write that in. That's a G. God's gift to me. When someone gives you a gift, do you pull out your wallet and ask how much, how much it costs? No, because if you have to pay for it, it's not a gift anymore. We think it can't be that simple. That God would just want to give us a free gift. But ask, ask people. Try ask them. Are you going to heaven? Yeah. How do you know? They'll tell you, well, I read the Bible. I keep the Ten Commandments. I go to church. I pray. They'll tell you all these things that start with I. I do this. I do that. I do this. One problem with that. It's not about you. It's not about I. Every one of us in this room will face God one day and we'll be asked that question. Every one of those answers are wrong answers. They're things we do because we're a Christian, but they don't get us in the door. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. If you sinned one time in your life, you're a sinner. That, that's probably not news to you. You knew that coming in today. Every one of us is a sinner. The penalty the wages of sin is death. In other words, the only way to take care of sin is death. Keeping the man, can't take care of it. Going to church can't take care of it. Praying can't take care of it. Reading your Bible can't take care of it. Great things to do, but they don't solve the problem of sin. The only thing that could take care of sin was death. In other words, somebody's got to die. And hell is not a place that God sends people that he's mad at. It's a place where people go to pay the penalty. God didn't like that. Of course he didn't like that because he wants to spend eternity with you. He wants you in heaven with him. But there's a problem. We're all sinners with a penalty to pay. So he sends his son, Jesus, who's the only one qualified to pay the penalty for everybody because he was sinless. The cross is all about Jesus solving the problem of sin. The the problem of sin is, has been taken care of. It's been solved. So now the works, reading your Bible, praying, keeping the commandments, going to church, they won't pay the penalty. God offered his free gift through his son. The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Free gift. Okay, Ryland, but it can't be that simple. I got to play some role in this, don't I? I mean, I got to do Something. Can't be that easy. That leads us to the R. It's to be received by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It is, it's by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. No, it's not about you. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's through Faith. We've been talking so much about faith. What is this faith? What does this faith look like? How do I know if I've received this gift by faith? Faith. What are you talking about exactly? Uh, I'm going to explain it this way. You guys know that the guy, uh, Nick Wallenda, you know, one of the flying walenda he, he, uh, he tightrope the Niagara Falls and Grand Canyon, and he's just as nuts as can be. I mean, one slip and you're dead. He's crazy. There's a, there was another guy a while before him called, his name was Charles Blunden, and, and he used to tightrope Niagara Falls all the time, no harness, to the point, imagine this, where it became old hat. His followers would come out to watch him, and they'd be, that's it. So he started adding all these theatrical elements. He'd do it with stilts, and he'd do it blindfolded, and he'd just do whatever people would want him to do. He, one time he went out, and, and out into the middle and cooked an omelet and ate it. I mean, he just do crazy stuff, bring out a chair. So one day, he comes across, and everybody applauds, and he says, how many of you think I could do this with somebody on my back? They're like, yeah, you can do it, let's see it. Do it with somebody on your back, let's see it. He says, okay, well, I need a volunteer. <laughs> no volunteers. Now, did they really believe he could do it? Now I wouldn't do it either. And I don't fault them. But it's a great illustration of our faith in God because too many of us have a faith that God. Okay, we have a faith that God can do something, but we haven't put our faith in God. We haven't put our faith on God. We say, yeah, I believe that he lived. A lot of Americans will tell you that. I believe that he lived. I believe that he's there. I believe that he can do it. Go ahead, do it. We can't just have a faith that. We have to put our faith in God. Faith goes from I believe that he exists to I give you my life. Do you have the faith to hand your life over to God? To put your faith on him? Do you have a faith to take a step? Do you have a faith to do something practical? Do you have a faith that'll go? Do you have the faith that that will give? Do you have a faith that'll give even when it's tight? Do you have a faith that will do some of the stuff we've asked you to do around here? Do you have faith to start a small group? Do you have faith faith to lead your family, to stand up and lead your family spiritually? Do you have the faith to, to admit you have a problem? The faith to confess something? The faith to maybe go get some counseling? Do you have the faith to remain in ministry even though you're getting weary? Do you have the faith to take your next step? We've got to get to a faith that says... I don't know where you're going, God. I don't know how you're going to do this. I'm scared. I'm unsure. But I'm putting my whole life in your hands. I'm putting my life on, on your ability. I'm getting on your back. And I'm going with you. And I'm stepping out in faith. I'm jumping by faith. Do you have doubts? Of course. Sure. Yeah, you have doubts. I mean, Listen, doubt is not the opposite of faith. It's an element of faith. If you never doubt, it's probably because you've never done anything that's required faith. It's kind of like this. Marital problems aren't the opposite of marriage. They're an element of marriage. Single people don't have them. If someone says, can say they, they've never had a doubt. You know, I've witnessed people that say, oh, I've, ne- I've never doubted. I've never had a doubt. Well, that's because you've never wrestled with your faith. I Seek the kind of faith that moves despite the doubts. That's what Abraham did. Last week we talked a little bit about Abraham and how he had faith and it was credited to him as righteousness. Well, how do we know Abraham had faith? How could we all in here call, say Abraham's a man of faith? How do we know he had faith? Because when God told him to go, he went. When God told him to go, he moved. Abraham had a rhythmic relationship with God where God would tell him to do something and he would do it. Did Abraham doubt? Yes, often. In fact, one time he doubted so much that he tried to pass his wife off as a sister because he was afraid they'd kill him to get to her. He doubted, he had faith. Did Abraham have failures? Yes. But his failures didn't paralyze him in victimization and shame. The failures couldn't remove the righteousness that he had received from God by faith. The failures did not change his standing with God in any way. His faith gave him the freedom and the innocence to stand up and move again. His failures didn't break the rhythm of faith producing good works. That's why James said faith without works is dead. Because faith in Jesus will give you the freedom... To stand up and say, here I am, Lord. I'm yours. Use me. I'm putting my life on your life. Romans 4.15, where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes. How's the promise received? By faith. It's received by faith. Let's go to the next one. A, available to everyone. It can't be grace. It just can't. It can't be grace if it's only for some people. And there's some bad teaching out there that says, well, well, grace is only for a few people. It's only for the select few that God chose. It's only for a certain chosen people, certain people God elects. It's just only for the elected. It might seem right to you, but it's not true. There's not only certain people. Romans ten thirteen says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Look up that word in the original language. Guess what it means? Everybody. Everyone. Therefore, no one who calls on the name of the Lord will ever be denied. It just won't happen. God's grace is unconditional. His election is unconditional. And it breaks my heart when I hear people say, God would never choose me. God would never be mindful of me. God would never elect me, would he? Yes, he did. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. 1 John 2.2, 2, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It's for you. Oh, yeah. It's for everyone. The seed. Grace comes through Christ. It comes through Christ. In other words, you don't get any other options. Romans 1.17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. Ryland, why can't some of these other teachings that produce some pretty good people, by the way, just doesn't seem right? That's just too narrow. Doesn't seem right. This argument baffles me. I mean, if you're falling and someone reaches out to catch you, would you curse them, rebuke them, say, oh, no thanks, even though there's nobody else around? How could you be so narrow? You think you're the only person that can save me? Jesus is the only way because he's the only one who addressed the problem. The problem wasn't being a bad person, needing to become a good person. The problem was that we had a penalty that could only be paid for by death, and Jesus is the only one who could solve that problem. Folks, there's nobody else coming for you. He's it. He's the only one. The fact is, he's the only one who could take care of the penalty, and he's the only one who could ever be qualified to do it. Romans 5.15, For if the many died by the trespass of one man, speaking of Adam... How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. John 14.6, Jesus answered, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to Father except through me. And Matthew 7.13, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Yeah, it's narrow. I'll tell you. It's small. There's only one way. It might not seem right to you, but it's the truth. Only God can save you. And even though it's narrow, it is not exclusive. Everybody's invited to go through it. E, it's extended throughout eternity. It's good forever. This is wonderful. If you get in on grace, if you get in on the deal, you don't have to keep re-upping all the time. You don't have to. You know, we talked about how Jesus says, come to me and have rest. Have rest. Your eternity is secure. You don't have to keep second guessing it. You're in. I've got you. You're in Christ. His grace is sufficient. This is why we sing around here. Your grace is enough because it's enough to cover everything that you did and everything you ever will do. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Have you ever wondered what, what heaven's gonna be like? It's gonna be, it's gonna be great. I mean, you're gonna finally be with Jesus. You're gonna get to reunite with some people. You'll be assigned. Some amazing work. It is not going to be boring. There's going to be more purpose, more life, more things to do. It's going to be incredibly fun. But I think what I'm looking forward to the most is just the incredible release that will be found. This this world that we're living in right now is broken. Heaven is not broken. It's perfect. No more allergies. (laughs) No more insurance. No more depression, no more pain, no more cancer, (laughs) no more pills. Your body will work exactly like it's supposed to. And God wanted you there so much, he was willing for his son to die to get you there. Isaiah 30, 18 says, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He wants to be gracious to you. That verse is for everyone in here. God longs to be gracious to you. When you have put your faith in Jesus and no longer have to pay the penalty and suffer the death, he celebrates. He longs to do it. His favorite day is the day he gets to give you that grace that you receive by faith. We're all given the invitation today. Will you receive it by faith? Will you put your faith on and in God? Let me pray for you. Well, maybe you know that the way you're serving God, maybe you recognize today that the way you're serving God just isn't right. You feel like it's a got to. There's no joy in it. You need grace. You need to come to God today, not in your own effort, but based in, in and on what God has already done for you. You need to leave law and come into grace. You need to come to Christ. Jump on His back. Put your total trust in God. Some of you have done that in the past, but over time you've made it about you. You need to receive God's gift by faith. and Give Him your life Everything, everything. Step out in total surrender, total faith today. Would everyone in here, everybody, just just repeat after me out loud this prayer Heavenly Father, I give you my life. I trust you. I put my faith in you. I put my life on yours. Thank you for your grace.